transformative funding makes possible that we also get transformed in the process. It, the transformative piece is like, it's not a new system that you just like implement and you're like, mm, I got it, we good. It's really about saying, oh, this thing we've usually managed in this way, right? Like we've controlled, we've, we've told people exactly what they need to do with it. Loosening that up will also be an opening for us. It also means like we're, resh- we're part of reshaping. Hello, and welcome to the Emergent Strategy Podcast, hosted by the Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute. We are a collective of facilitators, mediators, trainers, and curious human beings interested in how we get in right relationship with change. Today, I'll be guiding our interview. I'm Mia, a Mason on Abundance facilitator and Black Mama with ESII. Emergent strategy is the way we generate and reshape complex systems and patterns with relatively simple interactions. And our emergent strategist for the day, our guest is Xiomara Caro Diaz. Xiomara Caro is a strategist, connector and facilitator and the executive director of the Maria Fund. Trained lawyer and public relations professional Siomara has worked at different community organizations for the last 10 years. She is passionate about the intersections of women's leadership, healing, and movement building. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Mia. This is such a honor and pleasure. I'm really mm-hmm. grateful. So am I, so are we. So let's just start with a little check-in, you know, welcome. How are you? How are you today? How are you right now? I'm good. I'm, you know, I was telling you, I was, I'm at my parents' house, which brings back like memories. And I was just, as I was hearing you in the intro, I was thinking about, you know, we went through Hurricane Maria here. This is where I was when the storm was going. So, and I haven't been here for months. So it's kind of, I really want to, I feel home because I am home. (laughs) So Mm. uh, I feel a lot, like I think a lot of people are feeling. And I am also grateful to be here, both like in this conversation and be able to be where I'm at physically to be in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bless your parents' home. Bless your home. Well, so... Today's conversation in many ways is an opportunity to see how the immersions are still resonating or moving in your life and work. And of course, to just honor and learn from you and all that you are doing in your work at the Maria Fund. For listeners who may not know, an immersion is a locally based community experience of practicing emergent strategy together over the course of three or four days. And we had the opportunity to be together in November of 2019, um, which I feel super, super grateful for. We'll touch on that in a bit. Um, But before we go there, I want to just actually have you tell us about the Maria Fund, about your work and your role in movement and as a public foundation. The Maria Fund has a vision of a Puerto Rico where we are interdependent, free, connected to the rest of the world in relationship of dignity with others among ourselves, but also like any other country. And we're starting to say that out loud as something that we more than value that really moves those of us who work in the Maria Fund, the groups we support. So we started as a fund, really created hours, days before Um, Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico with the support of some amazing allies at Center for Popular Democracy, where I worked at the time. And there was just like this very clear need of 
let's make sure community organizations in Puerto Rico at the front lines have the resources to respond, relieve, but also for the recovery in the context of all the other disasters we go through. And now three years later, we've, we've gone expanding the vision. And for me, it's always like, it's always been the vision, but in a way it's like when you, when you start to have more breath, space for breath, and you start like being able to broaden the vision, right? So you started with something very specific you needed to get done in the moment. But then mm -hmm. when you get to lean back a little and breathe, you just see it bigger. And we decided to declare that and make it a reality. And that is building a social justice intermediary vehicle that can resource, support, and strengthen the organizing ecosystem in Puerto Rico. Um, and that's, you know, that's our mission. Our mission is really like, how can we build an organization that can serve as a bridge the same way it did when the hurricane passed, when thousands of people gave to the Maria Fund, thousands of people coordinated with us relief. Now it's about how can we make that bridge a long-term infrastructure that allows movements and the people who are part of it really in Puerto Rico to grow however they need to grow for the things that we care about and we long for, which are all connected to freedom and equity and justice and a life of dignity. Really, it's like a life of dignity um, and all that it requires. So mm -hmm. <laughs> all mm -hmm. of that, all of that. <laughs> Just, you know, just them, just them big, big things that we need to be up to in this time. That's right. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for the work. I'll say one more thing, because I you know, recently we we started looking at our because when you say this mouthful, it's a little bit. And when we're we're really known for moving resources as in money, right? We've moved groups to groups, resources based on trust. We trust, we have a relationship, we move quickly. And we've also been learning this year about what does it look like to build more long-term for that? And in terms of our role, like I, I really think we're getting clear about thinking about resources as water, right? As one of the things we do, which is like an ecosystem requires water and sun and clean air. And it requires like tending and the people who tend to plants also need care, right? And so we're starting to shape our strategies around how does water, which we have had access to, right, as the metaphor for money or, or grants or like funding, how can we structure that in a way that is in alignment with the ecosystem? Mm -hmm. and, and that's, you know, that, that feels like when I read the role, I was like, oh, well, we're a part of it. You know, we're, we're just a part of it. And I think we're getting more and more clear about we are a part of the ecosystem, right? Um, we play our role and then we're in it, you know, we're in it. We wanna be, we stay in it with people in other ways. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for saying that. I feel like that um, feels so important, right? To not see that the water bearer, the one who brings the water, has the water is somehow distinct from the fire or the wind or any of those other necessary elements. And as a result, um, also then doesn't function in isolation, right? And, or the kind of weird hierarchies that can come sometimes and the power dynamics that can come around this particular resource of money. And so I'm wondering, you know, for you, for you all, what does transformative funding make possible the way in which you're doing your work what does it make possible as you were saying that the first thing that came to mind was it makes i mean it makes possible for the for makes possible things like that we want and are sort of dif difficult to name like to see sometimes tangible but we know what it feels like it makes possible freedom imagination emerging organizing, right? Like when you need to move and you just need to know that you can use resources in a way that is in alignment with whatever you need to do. 
I think it also makes possible and important our own transformation. Like, I think that about the water bearers is, there's also humility and accepting that when we have lived in ecosystems that are in, in droughts for so long, mm -hmm. suddenly having a lot of water to distribute or who gets water, right? It is a conversation, right? It's not, you know, I also like acknowledge we're in it. We're not, we're in the transformation of us also feeling not comfortable, but also understanding the importance of healing in this, like building new ways of moving water, right? And that that's something that we can't do in isolation. And I feel like I, you know, we've been through both like all of the shapes, the shapes of a storm, like a drought came and, or something happened in the ecosystem and we just move and it's like, move water, move water, move whatever you need to move. And we've also, there have also been moments where we've also observed, like decided to not move quickly. And I think mm -hmm. we're learning, you know? So I think transformative funding makes possible that we also get transformed in the process. We're not like dis disconnected from that reshaping. There is a reshaping of saying also like when resources have been controlled for so long by so few and you know, our families, our realities, our, you know, my grandmother, you know, we all have, we, we have a context that has been shaped even in the context of Puerto Rico of a massive public debt that has crippled our infrastructure, right? And at a time like COVID, people are taking care of themselves because we might not trust the hospital infrastructure to be able to take care of us. There's also a, a moving towards truth and transformative funding, which means like, you're gonna be a part of this. <laughs> you're gonna be reshaped and you're gonna have to relearn about how do we manage resources that at times have been so scarce. And that's new, you know, it's new. It's, you know, I can, I can feel it in my body. Like I have to recenter, but I want to say it because it's not like, I think the difference is between thinking you have it figured out versus knowing you don't have it figured out. And you're just going to live into the questions more boldly. And for me, there's that pivot, right? From, for a while thinking, oh, we have to have it figured out. And then realizing, no, 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 we need to be more just in the, in the questions together. It, the transformative piece is like, it's not a new system that you just like implement. And you're like, mm, I got it, we good. It's really about saying, oh, this thing we've usually managed in this way, right? Like we've controlled, we've, we've told people exactly what they need to do with it. Loosening that up will also be an opening for us. It also means like we're, we're part of reshaping. I still love that. I feel like in so many ways, that is absolutely um, an example of what is meant by, you know, transform yourself to transform the world. And in that way in which fractals really does kind of come up as an opportunity for that, to see that within the individuals and a team, the team and the organization, the organization and the ecosystem, right? So really, really appreciate that. Um, and also appreciate how you're saying it's not easy, right? Like I think we sometimes come to the notion of emergent strategy because the concepts are simple, that it's easy to apply. And it's like, nah, this is simple so we can hold it because we need to be able to hold all the other complexities and difficulties that are coming with it. So we need like the simple thing, like, just breathe, for example, to like keep us present and available to what we need to do. So I just appreciate what you're saying here. And I wonder along those lines, you know, what do you feel like emergent strategy has to share with philanthropy 
given that you're in this practice? You know, of all the elements, the one I feel most called to like name here is interdependence and decentralization. And with sort of the contradiction of, you know, also learning what different ways that can look like, you know, as I think about interdependence and decentralization, I also think about trust-based philanthropy, right? Like moments in which you move at the speed of trust. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't always mean a lot of process. And so there's also this, like, for me, there's a learning about how do you intentionally adapt to moments of movements and how, and how can we develop the capacity to not have to have an either or thinking about the right way to move resources, right? Like when I think about after a hurricane or uh, after the earthquakes this year, our method was a fast and based on trust. 24 hours, put out a rapid response, call me, give me two or three paragraphs, fill out a Google form if you can, if you can't, we'll write it. We know you, we, we, are, we share values. We've seen you in the work. We trust you, go, here's the money. And then I also see the importance of talking about and learning from movement-led grant making and social justice funds and paying attention to that, right? I really wanna call, like call up um, social justice funds like North Star or Headwater, right? Like um, transformative, um, the Transformative Justice Fund in Detroit, like people I've, we've been in conversation about also how are there moments and spaces and in which we want to build process in which we decide how resources are distributed and that, that is, it is important for our community and our people to be on a table that makes that. And then part of what I feel like philanthropy is both an opportunity is, is looking at those fractals inside philanthropy, right? Like I think like in, in the bigger picture, those funds that have figured out different ways of moving resources are an important space to look at. And I've also, um, something as we've looked at, at participatory methods at times come to terms with is well, how can we also honor then then when we've had to move at the speed of what's happening, that moving at the speed of trust is also a valuable way of moving resources. And sometimes even where your energy, you don't, you know, you don't necessarily want someone who's an organizer sitting on a table for four months. Like that's, there's moments that that's, you don't have that, right? right. And, and we need to be able to say, we trust, we have vision, let's go. So I think there's something also about breaking this either or thinking or finding the silver bullet, which we can fall into a trap and particularly philanthropy, right? Like this, this eternal search for what will solve versus <laughs> how can you move resources in a way that heals our relationship to money and also recognizes where that money came from, which mm -hmm. I remember someone, I don't remember what, I, I remember the conference, but saying if you are if you're ever hesitant to ask for resources just remember that that money was accumulated through some of the systems that we're trying to dismantle mm -hmm. there is something about the next philanthropy there's even the word philanthropy to me it's very like this moment but I feel like what we're all going through in the world it's very I'm very aware that there's something that's coming next oh yes Ooh, I hope so I hope it's a post-capitalist what's next. You know what I mean? Oh, man. Okay. Um, and you know, the resources have been effectively redistributed. So yeah, but you know, we can we can dream there a little bit and actually do want to hear more of that. So for now though, I want to know kind of, you've mentioned it, right? This The kind of the level of ad adaptation that you have had to make given the nature of uh, climate catastrophe and also the work that y'all have been up to politically in terms of uh, shifting governance. I am wondering about the role of adaptation and collective care and mutual aid in organizing post 
Hurricane Maria or, you know, in the wake of the earthquakes. And if I can just add one more layer to it, you know, not only like what you've learned about emergence inside of that, and how do you cultivate generosity inside of continuous crisis? Oof. You know, I have to say that the organizations that in Puerto Rico that are led by comrades, other people I don't know as closely, but really around like some amazing, amazing leaders and also leaders with small L, you know, like not just what we frequently think about as leaders, right? But community members, regular people <laughs> who are part of life and are our school for that. You know, I think the Maria Fund, those of us who were in the Maria Fund, we just uh, followed and at times just connected, you know? And I really think that the most, some of the things that we learn from adaptation, from, from this moment in terms of the adaptation has to do with trusting our knowledge and wisdom, really like, under, like understanding that you in those moments are the one who knows best of what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I, and, and that doesn't mean we don't listen to others, but I do think that at moments of disasters, those people who might be listening who've gone through a big event and there's all this help and support and allyship coming in, which is great. And there's also something about adaptation that requires really listening to yourself, listening to people around you and trusting that your, your body, but also your instinct will move you towards life, right? Um, your instinct will move you towards taking care of one another, your instinct. And sometimes, and that also requires like seeing other people in the roles they've chosen or that they're, they're doing in the moment, understanding that value. And, you know, there's something of a dance about what we've learned in those moments. And, and I, I also think that um, it's, a, it's a big opportunity in terms of emergence of allowing for new possibilities of things you never imagined, right? And I think that is something important to center in the context of moments that there's a lot of pain, there's grief, there's loss. And, and it's, really, it's really important to be able to see that even in those moments, something new will emerge and is, is there in front of you. And it requires also uh, that openness of being transformed by the experience of allowing the moment to take you somewhere new. There's something about time also that changes, right? There's something about, it's almost like an, I, I keep saying an opening, but what I'm imagining is almost like a twilight moment zone. <laughs> like mm -hmm. you can choose, like the universe puts, makes this moment and you can either like surrender to it or like stay to your, just hold on. And sometimes I think we also have to acknowledge you have a piece of both. So mm -hmm. um, I will say that something we've learned in terms of cultivating generosity <laughs> inside of a continuous crisis is something I, I honestly am still learning. And I think it starts, there's a lot of cultivating generosity, even starting with yourself, for yourself, mm -hmm. right? As a small particle of this universe, that is in this moment, in this place, and is alive, and can contribute. And for that in itself, how do we practice gratitude? Mm -hmm. And I will also say, so it's not, you know, I want to be as truthful as possible for people listening, because this is, it also brings out those moments are also moments in which the conditioned ways in which we learn to survive will show up. So I think when we talk about community and when I think about the future, right? What I would say like, oh, what is the most important thing about, or one of the most important things for me, if we were to go through something, although we're still going, we're going through so many things, but like is the community 
that understands that as much of your as you're practicing emergence and adaptation outside, we're also practicing it with each other. Mm-hmm. And to be able to, to respond to those moments, not from a place of fear or control or scarcity. We also need other people around us who, you know, who can be a voice of support because that pace, that pace can also, it's like finding a slower pace inside a moment that is really, that feels really fast. And who do you find who can be with you? For me, I, that, that was key. After the hurricane, there was a group of us who, who worked in the physical space, coordinating support. And because we had spent months just cultivating a space of emotion, like supporting each other and how we felt in the movement, Throughout those months, we were able to also practice that level of vulnerability, right? And call each other in, right? So I will say it's also it's also a, a moment of like looking inward, right? It's not, ju- there is a part of outside and there's also what is going to emerge from you and what will it take to let go of something that you valued a lot? And usually there's grief in that. Like that part of Xiomara, oh, she got a lot of, you know, celebration. There's a lot of, and and all of us have that, have parts of us that you let go in that moment. And emergence requires almost like that, hmm, this thing fell. It's no longer, I'm letting it go. And, and doing that requires community, right? And being open to, and trusting that that community of people will take care of one another in that moment. What's so important on so many levels, like the vulnerability, I, I really appreciate the sentiment that's about like vulnerability is the place not only where you may have, you know, weakness, it's also the place where you allow all, for your strengths to be fortified because you are open and available, mm-hmm. you know. It's the way to let folks in, not just the way to be harmed, right? It's the way to be supported. So I really appreciate what you're saying here. And and because it is uh, based in this kind of community of practice, this community of people practicing with each other, um, you all in your practice also then decided to invite Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute to come in and support your practice and to have this immersion um, so that we spent three really amazing days together where um, folks got who had been in relationship for a long time or some who were kind of just coming in, but felt like mostly felt like a, a series of depthful relationships across in different ways in. But that being said, I'm, I'm interested in what changed after the immersion. And you can, of course, start with like what that immersion experience was like, you know, what it facilitated and then what's changed. You know, um, that immersion was, was something we said yes to even like a year and a half before. Like there were mm-hmm. several women in Puerto Rico who brought the book into spaces that I was in and my, and the rest of the Maria Fun team was in at different moments. So the immersion in Puerto Rico, what I felt it gifted us with was a shared embodied experience. My, I can speak that my body felt it was in a space where joy and camaraderie could be together that I had not felt for a long time. Curiosity around really hard topics like shame um it made a it made us it made it possible to feel what is possible 
right? Versus think what is possible. And, and for me, it made more, even more clear the importance of the Maria Fund having a commitment to building with other people, communities of practice. So the immersion also allowed us to understand that beyond text, there's also a huge importance in people who are embodying this in different ways, holding space for us. And I think that that also of recognizing the importance of in Puerto Rico, lifting up our own practitioners, our own practices, the ways in which we emerge, and also the value of being in community with other people like yourself who share a vision also that is international, that is about the world, that is about humanity and, and trusting, right? That, a, that even a space that was bilingual, that was in Spanish, you know, and it was, it was really just like a fully embodied experience. It was, it was not at all intellectual. And I think that has left us with a deeper longing of saying, what does the playground look like? Right. We were, we were this week talking about the chained collective and sort of what, what we want to do from the Maria in terms of like, how do we you know, we know we want to sometimes show up differently the way we do. We know we want to practice emergent strategy more often. And we are also in a commitment to acknowledging where we're at on our path. So how do we, how do we build the playground for mm -hmm. us to be in community with other people who are also interested in the movement um, and recognize that on the path to the work we're doing that, that can't stop, right? That it's in the process, we're going to learn Right. And we need also a place to play and 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 share tools. And um, mm -hmm. and the immersion made that very concrete that the that there's an embodied experience that creates openings for collective bodies too. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love it because we definitely have this deep vision of giving movement space to play to experiment. And so I love how that of seated and that you all are taking that in a way and also meeting that, meeting that, feeling the longing and meeting that. So what do you most long for, for Puerto Rico's future? I, you know, I long for recognition of visibility of who we already are and, and sort of the respect that I feel like any group of people deserve, right? In terms of our existence and the resistance and that we're still here. And I also long for, I, when I've, I've, when we talk a lot about independence in Puerto Rico. <clears throat> and that word has also, you know, I, I've also thought about interdependence, right? Because when, it, when we sometimes talk about independence, we lose sight that the rest of the world are countries in relationship to each other. <laughs> We're not talking about a Puerto Rico that is disconnected, that has to survive on its own, but it's really about, I long for to, to be able to live um, without violence, right? To be able to live in a way that is dignified and that we recognize our value, experience, and potential among ourselves, right? Starting with ourselves, but look, right? Really like there is, there's something very deep about colonization that a tent that moves us or has taught us to assimilate, to blend in, to lose our uniqueness, mm -hmm. to think that others are more valuable right, mm -hmm. than our own. And that other is usually white and is male and is and, and is all these shapes and bodies that are not us. And really what I long for is more and more awareness and more and more also collective process that allow people to be in action towards that freedom that is not just like political and structural, which I think is fundamental. And I've also see people get free as they are on the path. 
And I think for me, that even includes like acknowledging that as someone who grew up in the US, I grew up in Tampa and I had that experience of returning home and then leaving again and returning home. I learned really well to assimilate. I learned really well to speak my English good enough for no one to know or to think and, and to reduce harm, right? It was my body strategy to say, the less you stand out, the more you can protect yourself. Mm-hmm. And I have acknowledged that what I really long for is for the people, for us to have a country, like geographically even like to, with, this is our home for people to be able to return for those who have been historically and in the last decade in particular being stripped of the most basic things to be able to reclaim it, but also reclaim it from a place of self-value and love versus a place of hate and anger, which I have had a lot <laughs> and I have a lot. And I also have, I've, have, I'm learning how it feels so different for me when I am in my pain, but haven't been able to process that anger and how can that anger, those emotions also heal, right? There's, Mm -hmm. it's not a duality, right? It's a mix of all of that. But for me, it's like a longing of like, we, I, I, the, the generation of movement leaders that are doing work in Puerto Rico right now, for me are, I admire them. I, I learn from them. I see them as people who are walking in a similar direction and I feel humbled and I just want, I want all of their dreams to come together into a really big picture. Like I want those visions to be a reality. And I am also more and more aware that part of what I like to do is put those, like create bridges and connections for that, right? Like make that possible. I don't, I'm okay. I'm getting more okay with saying, I don't know what it looks like, the complete painting. I just know that I want it to be, I want to get free in the process. And that the people who are at the center of the work, particularly trans people, particularly black women in Puerto Rico, right? It's a workers working, like workers or people who don't find work or all these like intersections. Like I also recognize that those dreams of what does it look like to be for their lives to reflect the amount of value and experience and potential that they already are. Mm-hmm. That for me is like, I long for that. I feel you. I feel you so much on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. May we all know and experience our inherent dignity. May the conditions transform to match that. I feel that. Thank you so much for that vision and for the work to facilitate that. Mm. Um, I'm wondering, and I mean, I'm, I'm struck by, I really appreciate and I'm holding some of the tenderness of the young you and me that, mm. um, and the many yous and me's that felt that to be safe, we had to become something other than. So yeah, I just want to, I just want to give honor and send some of this dignity and knowing and a belief and a care and a love for ourselves back to those young versions of ourselves and forward to those who may need it as we still work to get free. Oof, this, I said this thinking about, you know, my seven-year-old self and also learning, I think also this, these years, of intentional adaptation, of of also like just being a witness to to other people in their process of growth and leadership, a witness to yourself. I also like think about her and I'm just like, you did great, you know, like, and I and I I can't think about this without thinking about somatics, right? Because mm-hmm. I think there's also so much about leaders being able to lean in to emergent strategy that is also about recognizing the ways in which you have learned to be like cement mm-hmm. and, um, and not at all uh, relate to the way in which 
nature lives, right? The ways even in which we, when, you know, when I left Puerto Rico, you know, my, my grandmother lived in the countryside, my parents lived in the countryside, but I went, I lost touch with some of these things. And I think it's a matter of like, that part of us that learned to camouflage and move and, and just like, and be in spaces we were not supposed to be, how do we also learn to give that, that, give it a break? Like know that now we're in a place where we can choose when I use those superpowers and then how I also allow them to not be superpowers anymore and just be a way in which I've experienced the world. And I think that also gives us space to be more compassionate with others about how they've been shaped by the world and that it's not a wrong or right choice, right? My body chose to react to the moments that it had because that's what was smart. And then there might be other people in the movement whose bodies, who've learned to, to move in a different way. And, and I've all, I'm also learning that humility of like, I don't need to be like other people to, to be part of the ecosystem. I am already a part of it because I, am, I exist. And so are they, and in their shape. We're just trying to talk a little bit more about what's your shape. Let me tell you about my shape. And then like, how do we, how can we be in a right relationship to each other? Acknowledging that we've been shaped also by the systems that we're trying to dismantle or contribute to, to changing. So there's also just like that, looking at that, though that, inner, the small Siomara or the younger parts of us, and then the younger ones that are coming and saying, you know, whatever is that, whatever is that adaptation, intentional adaptation you did, you, you can choose what to do with it from now on. And there are other people in the movement who bring their own, you know, and there's, there, it's, it's hard. It's hard to break this idea of correctness. I speak for myself, like, um, of the perfect way or the correct way and versus say we're in it we're just going to show I'm going to show you enough about how I was shaped so that you can see my humanity I can see yours we can talk about the vision and the longing we have long term and we can set up a community of practice and some systems so that when on the path there we hurt each other because that's also hard to say like we will mm -hmm. Hurt each other unintentionally or intentionally when we're in our like in those moments, it can be hard. But we have already agreed that we're in this, and these are agreements about how we can relate to one another in a way that our dignity is at the center, right? And that we're not, we're we remember that we're not at war with each other. Like you are not. <laughs> we're 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 looking in a different direction. Waste love. Waste love. Waste love. Waste love. Waste love. Waste love. This is for Shady R. Dedicate this with a heavy heart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. I think that there are many organizations, movement actors, leaders, who are in a very similar place, right? I think when you're doing this work, it is a lot about that, that, that making space for each other, really making space for each other to show up whole and, um, and learning through our experiences with each other, um, you know, how to be in right relationship, to tend to the things that need tending to, to interrupt the dynamics that don't need to exist, et cetera. And so I'm wondering from your experiences, what you think US-based movements can learn from Puerto Rico and also um, what your dream is for how US-based organizations would approach working with people in Puerto Rico. You know, resilience is a word that in the book, Emergent Strategy has a, for me, an important definition that is very different sometimes to the connotation of resilience outside of our spaces, so I'll say that. And I do think that the US-based organizations have a lot to learn about resilience and resistance and their relationship to one another. 
um, from the people in Puerto Rico, right? Um, I think the fact that we, we still exist, that we speak Spanish, that many people still leave and return, that we have communities that after 500 years of colonialism still, still have survived, right? And, and have cultural practices, have their music, have language, have values, have life, right? I also think that there is something that frequently people, some people who come to Puerto Rico are like, I just feel I can move in a different rhythm or something else is possible. And so I think there's something about understanding, and, and this is something I, I still understanding and watching and learning. And I think even now I am more interested in learning about, for example, my grandparents, my grandmother, and really valuing that the way she lived and, and trying to now look back and like appreciate, like really, really learn from, from that. And I think that in Puerto Rico, like our people have resisted and being resilient together. Like it's, it's, it's connected, right? There's, there's ways in which we resist by just continuing to assert our right to this place, our right to be alive, our right to land. And, um, and I think that's something that a lot of US-based comrades and allies would learn a lot about, right? If they also about how do you survive even in the context of a government that isn't yours? I think that's also something that's always been like interesting talk with a lot of people who center, you know, who, who understand the value of electoral, uh, like electoral politics and also a learning from a place that elections are, have historically not necessarily been the main vehicle to get free or a democracy. And I think now we'll see something different. And then in terms of like a different relation, like how I would like relationships, I think I definitely feel like that first question set up the second, which is assume like there, there is something about solidarity that assumes that you know something, I know something, we can learn from each other. A, I think also understanding that organizing might not look like the same way that in some city you are at. And I, and I mean it specifically as there might not be a bunch of nonprofits doing it with paid staff. And I also feel like that's a myth. Like I also started to be like, ah, oh, maybe, you know, I've been exposed more to that part of US organizing. When in reality, like, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of places that work is done grassroots and not by paid people. So I also think there's that, there's just a huge opportunity for learning um, from a place that is directly impacted by the politics of the United States, like the people in the United States, with the difference that we don't vote for president, we don't have vote in Congress. Some of us don't want it either, so I'll say that, right? It's like, that's not necessarily our path to freedom. <laughs> if for many of us, it's self-determination and, and, and being recognized as a nation. But I think that there's also something about relationships. Like, what do you wanna learn? Like, what do you, and I, I like to do that. Like, so if people hear this podcast and go to mariafund.org, and look at, I think it's a link that's called Our Work or Impact. And there's a list of all the organizations and then there's links to all of them. And I really like to curate, connect people. People were like, oh, I really wanna know about mutual aid in Puerto Rico. Well, let me connect you, right? And to Comedores Sociales, for example. So, so there's like these connections that, or feminist, radical feminist community eh, organizing, right? If they, so I feel like there's just these opportunities for recognizing that there's we're we're in a bigger fight. Obviously, we sometimes see targets in in our own geographies, but in reality, when you look at the bigger systems, like there's a very small set of men, by the way, most white, 
in control of the majority of the resources and accumulating wealth at a higher and higher speed, less and less people at the top of that pyramid. So I think there's also this invitation to like understanding that the ecosystem is not only like Puerto Rico, Detroit, it's like, and I, and I honestly feel like I'm just saying what I, most people here know, and it's really just an invitation to say, if you are a US-based organization and you wanna connect with the organization Puerto Rico, email us, what are you interested in? Or go to a website and check it out, right? Like there, there's a lot of amazing life happening. Someone recently was like, is it work? Right? Is, do we still talk about this as work? I still talk about this as work, but I honor that a lot of people who are doing work in Puerto Rico that are embodying emergent strategy are living a different life. And they're, or, they're organizing is, is really an alternative to the way, how can we live in this world we live in? And it's not a job and still my job, I will say with a lot of humility and because I also want people to hear this and be like, hear the truth, right? Like for me, I still think about it as a job. I still struggle with um, integration and I, I admire a lot of the people who are in the moment who I see practicing another way of being, of existing. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Siomara. Thank you for sharing your miraculous and precious time with us. These sweet, sweet gems that we get to like just be with for a while. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is produced by Natalie Pert. Music for the Emergent Strategy Podcast is provided by Complex Movements, a Detroit-based artist collective. The music provided is from the soundtrack of the performance installation, Beware of the Dandelions. To support the ongoing work of ESII, make a donation at www.alliedmedia.org forward slash ESII.